This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Thousands of Cuban citizens have been protesting their government over shortages and ongoing economic pain. The protests have been hailed by diaspora Cubans, especially in the U.S. state of Florida, as a turning point against the communist government. Right-wing American media outlets eager to capitalize on such fissures are having a field day condemning any defense of the Cuban government as antithetical to freedom and capitalism. Liberal media are covering the protests with no mention of decades-long U.S. efforts to destabilize Cuba. Today, we'll air an interview we did several years ago with author Margaret Randall. She's an American who lived for over a decade in Cuba, and she's a well-known poet. And she'll share with us her story story of how she views Cuba. My guest is Margaret Randall. She's the author of dozens of books of poetry and prose, including Aide Santa Maria, Cuban Revolutionary, She Led by Transgression, and Che on My Mind. She is also the editor of Only the Road, Solo El Camino, Eight Decades of Cuban Poetry. She joins me to discuss her new book called Exporting Revolution, Cuba's Global Solidarity. Welcome to the program, Margaret. Thank you, Sonali. Thanks so much for joining us. So first, let's talk about what it is that has captured all these years, both the, as I said, the sort of positive uh, reactions to Cuba's revolutionary path, but also the negative um, reactions. This, in on the world stage, should be, you would think, a country that just wouldn't matter much to the world's superpowers. But of course, it is known throughout the world. It, its history is known, it's hailed, and it has ins- sparked so many strong reactions. Why is that? I think the main reason is that, you know, people are educated to believe that the big, powerful countries, uh, the United States, um, uh, uh, Russia, China, and perhaps um, just as much the the, East, the Western European countries, France, England, and so forth, the countries with colonialist pasts sort of have a right to occupy the world stage. And uh, a lot of people just don't expect um, an audacious act like the Cuban revolution from a small country like Cuba to be successful. And um, it was successful 57 years ago. It still lives, uh, changed, of course, and with problems and so forth. But there it is, you know, 90 miles from the U.S. coastline. And I think that just sort of surprises people. It encourages some people. It annoys others. It infuriates some. And I think that's part of Cuba's history. Now, in your book and also through your earlier books, you are, of course, um someone who has closely studied Cuba's culture, in particular, the poetry that has come out of Cuba. How has Cuba used cultural means of expression, cultural uh, paths to tell its stories to the world? How effective have those means been, those means of expression? I think Cuba has um, often done a very good job culturally. It's sometimes had bad moments, uh, moments that uh, we wish it hadn't had, moments of repression. But in general, I think that the Cuban revolution, well, I should say that that Cuban poets and Cuban artists much predate the revolution, of course. Cuba has a rich history of art and culture, poets, uh, uh, 
theater, music, and so forth. And then I think the revolution knew how to tap into that. It's been wonderful for most of its artists and writers. It hasn't been so, so good for others. Uh, but I think at this point in time, uh, the Cuban revolution is really at a very good place with its writers and artists. Uh, there is a there's a lot of freedom of expression. Some of the bad times have been uh, have have uh, been overcome. And um, so I think that, you know, the despite the cultural blockade, because the United States didn't only uh, erect uh, an economic black blockade, a, a military blockade against Cuba, it also uh, erected a cultural blockade. And I think uh, Cuba has done a really good job of breaking through that blockade and uh, not only bringing artists and writers from all over the world to this tiny island, but making the work of Cuban artists and writers known throughout the world. How did Cuba's revolutionary leaders of course, Fidel Castro, engage um, with international heads of state to foment ties with other like-minded heads of state. And how important was that? Because Cuba, despite its small size, in the early years after the revolution, was very engaged politically and militarily, not just with the Soviet Union, but in the war in Angola. How, why was that? Uh, how effective was that? And why did Castro consider that important? Well, I think there's two questions there, really. Um, how did uh, Cuba engage with other world leaders? Um, I think it, it sparked the interest of many leaders of small countries, of uh, dependent nations, of uh, underdeveloped nations. It showed that, you know, a small country could uh, take a stand for its own freedom and, and that that could work. So that was very exciting, I think, for many other leaders of other small countries. Um, the non-aligned nations movement was very important in the early years, especially um, in the early years of the revolution. Uh, so that was something that that uh, helped. Cuba was a, a big mover and shaker in that movement. And um, so I think, you know, that that's, that's been, all of that has been important. And I think as the staying power of the revolution uh, showed that it was, it, you know, it wasn't going to be vanquished, it wasn't going to be put down, no matter how hard the United States tried, I think that also sparked the interest of many leaders and, and ordinary people throughout Latin America, throughout Africa and Asia, throughout the world, who were happy to see a country stand up for its rights, take its own road, and, and succeed to a certain extent. Now, the U.S. embargo prevented Americans from traveling to Cuba. Some Americans found ways to do it. You've spent a long time in Cuba. Um, but people from other parts of the world, of course, didn't have those same challenges getting to Cuba. So in many ways, did Cuba uh, have an easier time telling its story to the rest of the world more so than Americans? You know, that's an interesting question because, uh, of course, uh, people in the other countries and many of the other countries didn't have as hard a time. But uh, U.S. influence shouldn't be um, underestimated. The United States, in, in issuing its blockade against Cuba all of these years, influenced a lot of other countries in its radius of, of control. And, for example, for many, many years, uh, if you were a 
um, uh, a Peruvian ship, an Argentinian ship, uh, a, a Chilean ship, a, a ship from any of the countries that the United States considered to be in its in its domain, so to speak, you couldn't land in Cuba uh, because you would then not be able to land in the in a U.S. port for six months. So although it was easier for people from other countries to get to Cuba, uh, it was also difficult for a long, long time. And many countries had to brave uh, U.S. wrath in order to have decent relations, ordinary diplomatic relations with Cuba. And uh, so just as Cuban leaders were engaging with um, other sort of left-leaning leaders, Cuba also engaged in another kind of diplomatic um, approach, which is quite unique. It has a highly educated population, not uh, just lots of poets in Cuba, but doctors. Cuba today is known for... It's very skilled and highly trained doctors. It's known for having an excellent uh, healthcare system, of course, which the U.S. could certainly learn from. But during times of natural disaster in countries around the world, this small island with a small population sends its doctors to do crucial medical work. Why does Cuba do that? You know, that's what my new book is basically about. Yeah. Um, the exporting the U.S. for such a long time I had this sort of phrase, uh, Cuba was exploring revolution that was supposed to be something nefarious, something bad, something dangerous. Um, the way Cuba has exported its revolution has been by sending these doctors, sending health workers, sending disaster relief uh, teams when there was a terrible earthquake or mudslide or or a disaster of some kind someplace in the world. Uh, Cuba has, when the Cuban Revolution came to power in 1959, Cuba had roughly just slightly over 6,000 doctors. And 3,000 of those immediately left the country and went to the United States. So it was left with 3,000 doctors, uh, not enough to really treat its own population. Today, Cuba has 85,000 doctors. And uh, as you say, they're all over the world. Um, in the first years, Cuba uh, gave this service for free. It sent teachers, it sent doctors, it sent specialists of all kinds, uh, simply because uh, the Cuban Revolution believed that and believes that uh, it should help nations that were poorer or uh, less uh, capable than itself uh, or had less resources. Uh, today, many of those same countries, um, Cuba still sends free help to a number of countries that are really poor, but it also charges salaries for countries uh, that can afford to pay. And those countries are eager for Cuban doctors and Cuban teachers and Cuban specialists because they're so very professional and so good at what they do. Hmm. You point out in your book that more than a half million Cubans out of a nation of 11 million have gone on internationalist 
missions at some point in their lives, uh, whether as doctors or teachers or health professionals, uh, advisors and soldiers. That's pretty incredible. Is that a concerted effort on the part of the Cuban government? Because our impression here in the United States, if we just read mainstream media, if we just read uh, the sort of anti-communist uh, strain um, in our media, we might imagine that Cubans are all locked in this giant prison and they're all dying to come to the U.S. to escape the evil Castro regime. But in fact, half a million out of 11 million Cubans have traveled all over the world on these incredible missions. Well, it's a complicated story, and I try to tell the story in a very balanced way in my book. There are still many Cubans who uh, are leaving Cuba every month and want to come to the United States and don't love the revolution and are tired of the scarcities and shortages and so forth. That's absolutely true. Uh, the But the other truth, and I think the larger truth, is that this uh, idea of generosity, this idea of solidarity with countries and peoples poorer than oneself um, has really been a, a principle of the Cuban revolution. It's been uh, the Cuban people for 57 years now, for more than half a century, have been educated in this kind of morality. And so many, many people have wanted to go on the missions and as you say, have gone. And um, They've been extraordinary experiences for them, difficult, uh, painful in many cases, but worthwhile. So in terms of how the doctors themselves are viewed around the world, does Cuba, through its uh, medical missions, earn that kind of reputation? Do they, do they, you know, are the doctors in many ways not just solving the problems on the ground and treating patients, but uh, in a way, carrying on the Cuban revolution, if not overtly, then sort of, you know, unconsciously. <laughs> well, I think probably consciously. You mm. know, they, um, the, the, uh, the politics of this is absolutely not to talk about politics, not to convince people in other countries that the Cuban system is better or, or, or anything like that, but simply to do a job so well and so selflessly and often go where local uh, professionals don't want to go, um, that uh, there's come to be this extraordinary respect for Cuban professionals all over the world. And I have um, a wonderful uh, interview in my book with one of the doctors, uh, the Cuban doctors who went to um, Africa to fight Ebola. Uh, and he t and he actually uh, contracted the disease there and almost died. Uh, he speaks in this interview about working with U.S. doctors on the ground and the respect that they had for each other and um, how, you know, the, on the ground, it's really not about the politics. It's simply about doing a good job, selflessly doing it well, doing it professionally. And I think that has earned the Cubans a tremendous reputation. As we are ourselves in the middle of a now years-long battle over healthcare reform, what can American uh, doctors, administrators, and politicians learn from Cuba's healthcare system um, in terms of how doctors are treated, trained, what they might earn, how patients fare, etc.? Uh, they can 
learn a lot. You know, um, Cuba has a an international or Latin American uh, medical school where they give free medical training to uh, students from all over the world. They have there are approximately oh, twenty thousand students studying at that school at the moment, and some three hundred and something of them are from the United States, which I think few people here in this country know. Um, Cuban medicine is. Um, preventative medicine, it's uh, community-based medicine. So it's. I think there are a lot of things about the model, the universal healthcare model that exists in Cuba that, um, that people in other countries, doctors in other countries um, would do well to learn about. The salaries are not great and that's been a bone of contention and I think that's something that the Cubans are gonna have to deal with to be more competitive. Uh, so, you know, there are, there are questions on both sides, but I think in terms of the model, the medical model, the healthcare model, uh, people all over the world can learn a lot from Cuba. Um, I've been in Cuba recently, uh, most recently this past January. Uh, the transition is fast and furious. Cuba is opening to tourism from all over the world, uh, as well, of course, as from the United States. Of course, what many U.S. people don't realize is that the embargo continues to exist. So that's going to have to be dealt with at some point. Uh, what the Trump administration um, has in store for Cuba, I wish we knew. I actually wish we knew what it had in store for our country as well. So, you know, that's that's just going to take some time to see how it all unravels or unfolds. Margaret Randall is the author of dozens of books of poetry and literature. She has lived for many years in Cuba. And this interview, which aired several years ago, was about a book that she had written called Exporting Revolution, Cuba's Global Solidarity. And we decided to re-air it in light of recent protests in Cuba and the U.S.'s invisible hand in fomenting unrest. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com, where you can sign up for our new newsletter and watch all of our video interviews. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Are You With Sonali.